JB. The program is up here. Please welcome him back, ladies and gentlemen, James Brown. And he has agreed to, be, actually, he, we talked about this some time back, and he said, John, I think it might be good if you interviewed me. And then we went back and forth. Maybe mm-hmm. you do a sermon. Maybe we do a sermon in chairs like what this is going to be. But I want to thank you and Dorothy and, and her cousin Lonnie for being here today. You honor us, my friend, by being so in Pasadena much. today. Yeah. This is your fourth time mm. to preach to our church. You did it in 2014 and 15. And then and you were in town for the Super Bowl when it was in Houston in 2017. And we're just so glad to have you back today. And you know, James, I have always, first of all, is there anything you want to say to the congregation? Because we consider you guys honorary mm. members of this church. I want to mm. tell you that. Anything you first want to of all, say? Just can I just say thank you so very much for having us back. It's good, if you will, to be an adopted member of First Baptist of Pasadena. We thank you so much. And by the way, we've got some friends, uh, Darth, Dorothy, she normally drags me around the country to the various seminars, which is what we did at the... Um, the Billy Graham Training Center, where we met Dr. R.T. Kendall, who you guys have been blessed to hear every year, and we're very good friends with that family. She dragged me down to a Joyce Meyer retreat, I think it was two weeks ago, thinking that I needed to rest, and I did. But we met some friends there who are from Houston. If I, well, actually, I think he's from Wisconsin and his wife, but they live here in Houston. Uh, Scott and Rachel Heinrich, I believe it is, so they will please stand and say hello as well, too. Good. We're glad so, yeah. you're here today. Thanks okay, for yeah. coming. Thanks for coming today. We're glad that you're here. But I honestly hope that this format, that, that, and I'm a man under authority, so I'm following Pastor John's lead here, that this will still be akin to giving a sermon as I try to be as transparent and hoping that the example of this one brother in Christ may encourage somebody as well, too, in terms of things that I've gone through. But the application of God's word always wins out. So. Absolutely. And you know, James, mm-hmm. one of the things, I've, even before we met you, I had always just seen you on television, and I had kind of viewed you, even though I didn't know you were a Christian, I knew it in my heart, I knew it, even though I had never heard that, Mm -hmm. but as I've gotten to know you, you to me seem like kind of the pastor of Mm. the NFL of the CBS crew, of the players, and I can remember back, I don't know if that's a paid position or not, I don't know if that's a paid position or not, but I remember back in 2014 and again in 2015 when you guys were doing Thursday Night Football with CBS, and the Texans had those games, those two consecutive years, Mm -hmm. and you were kind enough to give my dad and I, we were with you, sideline passes and into the halftime time with all your all the guys and all these hall of fame players that you had you know we were in there with Deion sanders michael irvin marshall falk and i was saying to myself john don't say anything stupid in this environment <laughs> you know this is no time to tell them a high school football story right yeah, i mean yeah. these are hall of fame players but yeah. i just noticed how you interacted with those guys and and you were like they looked to you and i can remember even on the sidelines that night uh Dwayne Allen, who at that time was tied in for the Colts, mm-hmm. came up to you, I, don't, I didn't hear the conversation, but asking for prayer, asking for counsel. I guess long build up to this question, how do you, this is how you could help us, how do you try to be a witness for Jesus Christ in your workplace, not beating people over the head with the Bible, mm-hmm. but how do you do that? Prayerfully and hopefully I try to model Christ in my behavior. Um, as, as I shared before, I know that my boss at CBS didn't hire me to be a pastor on the job. I know he didn't hire me to be, um, uh, if you will, to proselytize, to try to bring people into the faith. However, I think that you can't help but do that based on how you carry yourself. Uh, I believe it was St. Francis of Assisi who made the comment um, to preach the gospel everywhere you go 
and speak if necessary. Mm. So I pray that my, my, my habits, my words, and my actions are one and the same in representing Jesus Christ. You know, I always, there's, there's a scripture that talks about how we're all ambassadors for Christ. And I take that seriously because I know people are watching, they are listening. When I worked at Fox a number of years ago, and I, for the life of me, Pastor John, I don't know what I said or what I did, but my boss apparently was watching me as well too. Oftentimes they would go to Dorothy and ask for prayers because they wanted to have the ratings be pretty high that particular Sunday. So they knew who to go to to talk to her. But he had commented one time, and you know, people will interpret things differently. I'm not walking around trying to be holier than thou. I just want to model Jesus Christ. But he made a comment one time. He says, and I thought you were supposed to be so holy. I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm going to have to ask him when I get a chance to see him about that again. But it just underscored the point that people watch what we do. And most people would prefer to see a good sermon as opposed to hearing a good sermon only. So that's what I do. And when Dwayne Allen came over on the side, well, praise God. And again, it's not to be trying to be holier than thou. I'm trying to model Jesus Christ because I know by our actions, we can stumble people if it's inconsistent. Uh, I'm, I'm noticing the young people here and young people watch what those of us so-called seasoned saints are doing to see if our actions match up to our words, words matching with the actions, because they define that as being a hypocrite if you aren't. So when Dwayne Allen came over, I was truly surprised, but also inviting you and Pastor Charles to come with me. I mean, my gosh, and I call him Pastor Joel, your brother, Pastor <laughs> Joel is awesome, by the way. I'm, I'm a big fan of Joel's, but you guys just model Christ so well. So why wouldn't I feel comfortable to invite you into the inner sanctum with athletes many of whom are hungry to see what a real role model is like because everybody's always patting them on the back, everybody's always fawning over them. It's wonderful to see somebody who carries himself. So I called you guys Pastor Charles and Pastor John because that's a matter of respect and we do that even in quiet times ourselves, but that's the way it's supposed to be. So you're saying mm -hmm. that the key to being a witness for Jesus is first of all, just to live it, not to what you say, but mm -hmm. to model it with your life. Absolutely. And a big part of that is love, right? Absolutely. And you know, James, we live, as you know, from the world you're in, we live in an angry world. Mm. And uh, politically, it's an angry world. And even in the world of sports, I think back to a few years ago with the national anthem and the protests and all that, and we all have our convictions and we all love the flag and we all can get upset about some of that. but. Even in a situation like that, we're called to walk in love, right? And so I guess my question is, whether it's politically or in the sports world, if I have a conviction about something, and so let's say you have a different conviction about something, talk a little bit about the importance of us loving each other, even if we don't agree on a particular issue. Well, the only way we're going to get to the point where the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed if we aren't hearing the other side? It's easy, it's human, it's quick to automatically become judgmental about what someone else is saying and perpetuate a narrative that may not be absolutely accurate. I fully understand why so many people were upset by what, and my wife has a different attitude than I do about it. We sit and we talk about it. I respect her position, and I pray that she respects my position in terms of at least one team 
to hear what they're saying and then perhaps in my own way suggest what Tony Dungy said, God bless him, the uh, uh, Super Bowl winning coach with the Indianapolis coach who's an awesome, awesome brother in Christ. When he talks to teams, he doesn't tell them what to do. He says, think about what you're doing because it's going to follow you for the rest of your life so as to make certain that you're informed if you're going to go out and kneel or protest in some fashion. But also ask yourself, is there a better way to do it? What you're about to do, is it going to help the situation? Now, we may not agree. And when I talk to some of the athletes, I tell them, hey, look, I stand. That's what my choice is. You're doing what you do. Let me hear what your thoughts are as well, too, so that we can try to come together. You know, only if we're talking together and reach some consensus can we talk about how to make things better. There are a number of strong Christian athletes whose only aim, because their frustrations have boiled over with so many systemic issues in their communities, they were crying out for help to make it known so that they can bring sides together to talk about it. Admittedly, there are a number of athletes who had no clue, who hurt the effort because they're not suggesting anything that's going to reflect healing and moving to an objective to accomplish something. That's typically what the media will focus on, and those folks hijack the narrative. What has transpired since then are a number of the very thoughtful, engaged athletes who've been doing it for years, pulling sides together to sit down and talk, and now they're moving and mobilized together to make changes in the community. I did a story for Face the Nation about five, six weeks ago with three athletes, one who's very pro-life. He's working for a congressperson up on Capitol Hill, I think it's Josh Hawley, the newly elected senator from Missouri, because he's pro-life and he's engaging in a democratic process to try to make that known, moving along his Christian principles. There's another who plays with the Kansas City Chiefs, and um, he's very much in favor of some other uh, reform in the legal industry, if you will, the legal profession. And then there's another from, uh, who works with um, one of the congresspeople from here in Houston, and this is his second year doing it. So they're looking to go about it in established proper means to bring about change, but that was a result of what happened. So I hope that I can at least hear. And again, I use the example because everything I do, I try to, is to wash it through the water of the word of Jesus Christ. And as opposed to coming at people dictatorially, trying to tell them what's wrong, as opposed to hearing from them first. I believe it was Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, God bless him, both of them. And, and they said, you know what, can we sit down and reason together and then work toward an objective? Does that make sense? It does, James. And take mm -hmm. that one step further and talk a little bit about uh, biblical authority and trying to line our lives up with the Word of God and the importance of the Bible. And I mean, all of us here today believe the Bible and we want to live by the Bible. Talk about the role of the Bible in your life. Well, and I grew to that. By the way, Pastor John, I was listening to one of your uh, Wednesday night Bible uh, study sessions, a Bible sermon, just a couple Wednesdays ago, and you were talking about it, and it really caught my attention spiritually when you said God looks for progression, growing. And that really made a lot of sense to me because all of us know that if we spend any time studying the Word, it's amazing. You can look at a scripture that you've known all of your life, but maybe known on a superficial level. And then the Holy Spirit will take you deeper. And you say, wow, I didn't see that before. So the more you study it, the more you see in it. And the more you see in it, the more you see in it. So that helped me because like your brother Joel, 
I'm out in the secular world. My ministry platform is in the world. But we're in corporate America, where I was working at Xerox in East Dakota before. We had some executives talk to us about success principles. Um, it's called the objective and subjective criteria for success. Under the objective, there's only one element, a criterion. Do the job and meet it 100%. Under the subjective, there are a number of other things, your dress and attire, um, your speech, uh, working well in a diverse population, uh, being prompt, on time, all of those things. And they made sense, but they were superficial. But as I grew in the Word, I tied all of them to biblical principles. You talk about good communication skills, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Evil communications corrupts good manners, period. No other truth about it other than that one. In terms of working in a team environment with people from different persuasions. Um, actually, it was Joel's son, um, Pastor Buddy, I call him, five years of age, seven, whatever he is. Pastor Buddy helped me to understand. I said, you know what? I know there's a scripture that says, in lowliness of mind, esteem others more highly. And he blurted out Philippians 2 and 3. And I'm like, you know, two, five years old, you know. But he's got it on the tablet of his heart. So if you get those um, prescriptions for success rooted in biblical principles to make certain that they're true and govern your lives accordingly, and that's worked well for me because God's word is absolutely true. Hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, I've always believed that in life, a lot of things happen, can happen to us. But it's not so much what happens to us in life, it's how we respond. Mm -hmm. Our response is the key. Let me ask you just on a couple of different levels. In your, in like we look at you in your position, your success, your notoriety, and we, it would be easy for us just to think, this guy doesn't know anything about failure or disappointment or rejection. But that's not the case because, you know, even Jesus said... In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Speak, if you will, about some disappointments that you, or even failures you've been through in your life, and how did you try to respond to that? Well, I was, I was talking to my cousin Lonnie about that um, um, f failure, rejection, disappointments in life. They come into everybody's life, and let me tell you, I've had absolutely my share. Those I created and those that were external as well, too. But um, it's the, uh, the Christian... A motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, who said a number of years ago that failure is an event. It is not a person. Hmm. Sadly, too many of our teachers, and thank God for your Christian school here. I got a chance to meet um, Cindy Josie, and if she's an indication of what you guys have on the teaching staff here. It's awesome because both Charlie Joe and uh, Pastor Buddy, I mean, they've got it written on the tablets of their heart, and I'm sure that's indicative of all the students as well. Rejection is something that's powerful for everybody, young and old. Many people who are seasoned saints haven't dealt with internalized rejections because rejections have a way of making you feel either worthy or unworthy. Whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's on a playground, whether it's a job that you did not get and you were rejected in a harsh fashion, those things can become implanted in you and if you don't deal with them in the light of the Bible, we are who God says we are. But for our young people, too many times when they experience rejection, if a teacher, a parent, or some loving saint doesn't help to excise that from them, that's how they will view themselves. And here's what rejection can cause and create. Rejection can create hopelessness, insecurity, fear, depression, anger, 
bitterness, none of those things are good. And if they stay internalized for a long period of time, the rejection that they've experienced create a soil and all of those seeds create a harvest of failure. But we must understand that we are who God says we are and God says we are created in his image. So with me, before I had gotten to that point, I experienced some rejection in elementary school. A teacher was watching me uh, doing a break and I was reading the book. So you want to be a doctor because I wanted to help people. And this is fourth grade. And she said to me, you should, uh, you should consider another profession. I said, why? She said, students like you don't do well in the math and sciences. I mean, my gosh, it crushed me. Fourth grade, it crushed me. And for the next five or six years, as I was moving along in school, I was always in the lowest academic class because of what that teacher said. Hmm. Words are powerful. You know, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it crushed me until I started getting some semblance. And I didn't become saved until 1974 when I was 24 years of age. But I started getting some semblance of, I don't have to believe what somebody else thinks about me. All that really matters is what God says about me. And I was blessed to go to one of the best schools in the country and going to Harvard. I wasn't necessarily the academically gifted that so many others are. But you know what? Nobody was going to outwork me but also to recognize that God has a plan for each and every one of us. So students, be mindful that you truly can accomplish all with Jesus Christ as your guide. And that's what helped me so that such when I got to the broadcast level, when CBS lost all of the inventory, they lost the NFL project, uh, product to uh, Fox and they lost some others, I'm effectively without a job. But then when Fox offered me the job to come over and co-host a show with Terry Bradshaw, one of my colleagues, and it's irrelevant who he is, I didn't even try to find out who said it. He said, Fox will find out James Brown knows nothing about football. He will bounce out and fail within about a year. But as opposed to turning my anger towards him, I knew too much. Colossians 3.23 says, do all that you do heartily or excellently as unto the Lord and not unto men. And that's what I did. So some 30 years later, I'm still calling football games, don't know much about it, you know, but I'm still doing that, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To the glory of God. To the glory of God. Absolutely. But you could have become bitter oh, yes. when, when he said that. Mm -hmm. I mean, James, have there been other times, I mean, not, not, don't give any specific examples, but I mean, when, when maybe somebody has, has tried to stab you in the back or work behind you or undermine you, and you have found yourself, you know, you have that feeling we all feel sometimes, maybe a hard time forgiving or you get that bitter root. How do, you how do you deal with that? Again, making a daily effort to wash everything through the water of the Word of God. Yes, a few years ago, big time uh, announcer with another network, we were collaborating on a product. And every time he threw it to me, he would have something to say that was really demeaning, it was condescending, and it really was an affront to me. But my wife has helped me. I've been reading a book and studying John Bevere, The Bait of Satan, based on Luke 17, 1, which says, it is impossible, but that there will be offense. I could have become offended and maybe acted not saintly, not, con not glorifying to the Lord, by reacting to what he said with some type of quip or quick retort. But I chose not to do that. I bit my bottom lip, I was upset. You think about Joseph in the Bible, my gosh, isn't he not one of the best examples in a negative sense of how you deal with what somebody else may be doing against you, but God. So that's what I did. So I just prayed for the God. That's a hard thing to do 
when God says to pray for those who despitefully use you. But God moved in that situation that his colleagues made him aware of what he was doing and he apologized. I didn't even have to do it. So that's the hand of God. God's word is true and it will come to pass if you truly stand on it and pray for that person out of the goodness of your heart. Because I mean, when you think about Jesus Christ, and yes, even in an insignificant example like that, when I think about the horrific, ignominious, painful death that Jesus suffered for us when he created us and he endured all of that. And if we have a light affliction and he says, my grace is sufficient for thee, I think he's absolutely correct. So I didn't even worry about that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, keep your heart pure. Absolutely. Right the Lord. Mm -hmm. James, speak just for a moment about humility and about, as you quoted that verse in Philippians, esteeming others. You know, we live in an ego-driven world and mm -hmm. we all have egos. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, it's all about us and how do I look to others and what do others think about me and what can I do to push myself forward? And yet in an ego-crazy world, you seem to be the opposite of that. You seem to be all, whether it's in a hotel or a restaurant. Uh, the other night we had a, we ate at a restaurant and there had been some security guys guarding uh, my car because he had his suitcases and stuff in there. And we came out, James tries to pay the guy and the guy wouldn't even take the money. He said, no, I'm not taking your money. You just make sure you look good on TV next football <laughs> season. That's what he said. <laughs> but it's always about like, even when you call me on the, it's always about John, how are you? How's your, how's your family? How, how do you do, is that something that comes naturally to you or have you had to work with that? Had to work at it and again, believe in the word of God. Best example I can give is uh, from Dorothy. I remember early in my Christian walk, um, the, the pastor was teaching us on the ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness, not allowing the sun to go down on your wrath. How many of us men, especially married men, get into an argument with somebody your wife, and you let her go on for two, three days, or 10 days, or what? I mean, please. So she modeled that behavior for me. We had, I won't call it an argument, we had an intense debate about something, <laughs> and um, a Christian debate about something, and I knew I was the one who was wrong, but I was not willing to admit it. And I, man, the sun went down, and we're about to go to bed, and I'm still, I'm biting my bottom lip because I'm upset. She came to me and said, I am truly sorry for whatever I did to create this disharmony. I felt about that little <laughs> because I was the one wrong and wow. she wasn't. So I learned a painful lesson because God knows our heart. It's not about what we look like to the world. He is the one that knows our heart inside and out. So she taught me that lesson. So I try to wash everything through wow. that when I encounter situations like that. I'm not going to be worried about being offended when I know what Christ went through for us and how she modeled what the ministry of reconciliation. See, I never heard that story. I mm -hmm. never knew that you learned the humility through Dorothy like that. You know, mm -hmm. it talks about it. Jesus said, if we'll humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Exactly. And I think that's what's happened in your career. I mean, mm -hmm. God has exalted you. Talk a little bit about, I've heard you talk through the years about the difference between success and good success. Mm. Maybe talk on that. And then a passage of scripture that is very dear to James's heart that he introduced me to five years ago in Psalm 75, uh, verses six and seven, about how promotion comes from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Kind of throw all that together and, and tell so me. So we can all, all of us want to be successful in whatever the chosen pursuit is. And, and clearly I was going after that. In, in corporate America, when I was working for uh, two Fortune 50 companies, 
you know, you would hear um, the examples of what success are, and you've got to chase and move up the ladder of success. And you know what? It's really very empty. I'm around all these wealthy athletes, politicians, um, entrepreneurs, and you know what? So many of them reflect emptiness in their lives because they've, uh, they've got all the accoutrements of success, but there's emptiness and they're not happy. And as I continue to grow in understanding the Word of God, because we both belong to an excellent and excellent Word teaching church, I realize that the best definition of success is in the Bible. And there are a number of them, but certainly the one in Joshua 1.8 speaks loudly to me. And when it says this book of the law, not in terms of following the Mosaic law, but the law of God, love, if you will. Uh, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night to observe to do according to all that is written within that you may make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success. And the fact that it emphasized good success, most people will think success is success. No, because criminals can apply biblical principles and be successful. Hmm. That's not good hmm. success because we will stand before him whether they want to believe it or not now Every last one of us, all truth is parallel. What's true in the natural, true in the supernatural. We have bosses here on earth in our jobs. We have a boss that we will stand before there too. And all he's want to know, want to know uh, will ask of us is what do we do with his word? Not a resume about our worldly success, but what do we do with his job? So when I realized that, Psalm 75, 6 and 7, in terms of corporate pursuits or career pursuits. It's all about what does God say? Because God says that uh, promotion doesn't come from the east, nor the west, nor the south. God is a judge. He puts down one and sets up another. And Pastor John, I realized that in pursuit of some things, there were doors that didn't open that I thought should have been because, wow, I wanted to do that. But God had something better and bigger waiting on the other side of that. I just had to accept it. Tony Dungy, my good friend who's a wonderful Christian, when he got fired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, after turning that team around, they had been abysmal losers. He got them turned around. He moved them into the playoffs. They didn't get past the NFC Championship game. The ownership became uh, antsy. They fired him before because they didn't get to the Super Bowl quickly enough. I'm covering that, and I asked Coach Dungy, I have never seen a coach go to a press conference to announce his own firing. I said, what is wrong with you? And he said, oh, no, no, no. I went to the press conference because, first of all, the Glazers, the owner, they gave me my first job, and I wanted to thank them for that. But secondly, that meant the Lord had something else in store for me. I'm like, are you kidding me? So what he did, the going the next, and he didn't know where he was going to go, what he was going to do, before the week was out. He had a message on his voicemail from um, Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, saying, Coach Dungy, this is Jim Ursay, owner of the um, Indianapolis Colts. I'm just letting you know we're interested in you and being our head coach. No, this is not a negotiation. Don't have your agent call me because money is not an obstacle, not an issue. You just let me know if you want the job and it's yours. Hung up. And he got the job and he stayed with his biblical principles and the Colts went on to win the Super Bowl. Now, here's a coach who when he thought he should have had the job or could have had the job, 
many years before, before he got what he thought was his first opportunity, the owner asked him, he says, how are you going to motivate these guys out there? I understand you're not tough enough and you don't believe in cursing. You don't engage in profanity-laced tirades. He says, no, sir, I don't. I think I can appeal to their intelligence and they'll follow things and they'll be just as driven if we do things the right way. And that owner of that team said to him, you'll never make it. You'll never do well. So he didn't get the job, but you know what he did for the next two years? He studied the principles of leadership from the book of Nehemiah, wow. two years. And the way he motivated his players, he used biblical examples wow. to encourage them. And he got the job and he never cursed at any of his players. And even some of the roughest, toughest guys from the meanest backgrounds, they never wanted to disappoint him because he never cursed, he respected them. And when they got to the Super Bowl, to take on the Chicago Bears. What he told them, he used a biblical example again, there will be a storm in this game, but don't worry, we're prepared. We are well prepared to execute and get this game and win ourselves, but let's weather the storm. Opening kickoff, they decide they're bold, they're gonna kick to Devin Hester, the fastest return guy in the NFL. We're gonna go right at him. They kicked the ball to Devin Hester. He returned it 95 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> Peyton Manning and all the players looked over the sideline and looked at Coach, and he said, that's the storm. Now let's go on through it. And they went on and, and won, they the, won game. the game. So, yep, that's a great they won the story. game. Absolutely. You know, I didn't know what you might say about, uh, oh, good night. Look back there. Look at that clock. James, that oh, clock is gosh. our nemesis. Okay. It is our enemy. I'll be, I'll be quicker. Go I, ahead. No, 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 no. It's, it's okay. just me asking all these questions. I have so many more things. Don't you love this guy in his heart and his spirit? Praise God. I think you should know. I think you should know that my dad and I are in the process of trying to hire this rascal and moving him and Dorothy from Washington, D.C. to Pasadena. That's Praise in the God. works. I don't Praise know if God. it's going to happen or not, but we're trying our best to get him down here. Uh, James, you're talking about Coach Dungey. I didn't know you were going to go in, in, in that story. I love that story. Uh, I know he has lost a, a child, and he's been through heartache in his own life. Uh, we've all had difficulties and disappointments and heartache in our life. And I think about people here today who are, you know, they've not been fired. We've not been fired from coaching in the NFL. And maybe we've not had some of the losses that he went through. What would you say to that person today who is going through a difficulty in their life? Maybe a cancer diagnosis, maybe a broken relationship, maybe a loss of a job, maybe a... Uh, they're fighting fear and anxiety, or maybe they've lost their joy. It could be a thousand things. What would you say to us today? How does God help us when we go through hard times? God's word is true. He's not a man who can lie. Numbers 23 19. God is not a man that he can lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. When he promises us eternal life, he says in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, God that cannot lie. When he talks about healing, healing is ours now. Many of us, of course, want it right now on this side, but healing is absolutely ours. Jesus bore 39 stripes, 39 whiplashes for us that covered every category of sickness and disease, and by his stripes, we are healed. In Isaiah, 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes ye were healed. God delivers. It is incumbent upon us as body, as members in the body of Christ, to pray one for another. Prayers are powerful. And to stand on a prayer of thanks that it is done, no matter what it looks like. And I've gone through it. 
my mother-in-law just went home to be with the Lord on December the 9th. My wife, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And when they were in the hospital, I was in New York working, she and her family surrounded her mom, who was 90 years of age, and we found out Dorothy wanted to be sure that she knew, that she knew that she knew that her mother knew Jesus Christ. My sister told her one afternoon when they were there watching Christian TV, my mother-in-law, she's German. She, in fact, there's no gray area with her. It's black or white, no middle ground with her. And I forget who the minister was on TV when he talked about the salvation prayer and this is what you need to do because tomorrow isn't promised. And Mama Johnson, we called her, whispered under her breath, I need to do that. Wow. And she accepted Christ right there. They were in the hospital room surrounding Mama Johnson, all the family, and she was weak and frail. And when she expired and breathed out, of course, there was pandemonium in the room because you don't want to see your mom leave you then. But Dorothy says, let's get up and hold hands and pray and thank the Lord for her life. And when they did that, some 20 seconds later or whatever it was, she took in another breath and started breathing. But they, they like what Jimmy Herbert does with this wonderful praise and worship um, um, group here, they started praising the Lord, but they saw palpably the ushering of Mama Johnson into the arms of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So there is a peace. So we have to know that God's word is true. We must stand on that because it will deliver. There are many people who will attack the Bible and I know there are many reasons why we need to stand on that word of God. And I pray for those who don't know Christ in the pardon of their sins and as Lord and Savior. You do your own search. Be like the Bereans in the Bible who may have heard a good sermon, but you go study it for yourself. And all those people who have attacked the Bible, you've heard the story, many of you before, but it bears repeating. And I love the story of the 18th century French philosopher and skeptic Voltaire who said that the Bible was nothing but a book of fairy tales and it would cease to exist within a generation or two of his own life. And yes, he died. And after he died, a publishing company purchased his house and they printed copies of the Bible. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, you know? <laughs> That's the bottom line. So, and I believe that what God says in Galatians 6 and 6 and 7, God is not mocked. What he says, he means, and what he means, he says. But we need to come to that understanding ourselves. God loves you. God paid a dear price for you and for me. My trust and hope is in him and nothing or no one else. Praise God. Amen. Mm. Amen. What a great day. Mm. 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 Well, I could stay till two o'clock. Could you? I mean, this is good, but we're gonna we're gonna have to stop it right there. And you know, hey, Joy, may I say something to the students as well, too, absolutely. please, just very quickly, because I mean, when I look at that, which grieves me most for the young people out there is the kind of world that we have right now by us so-called seasoned saints, where we sit back and allow too much to go on. But you guys look awesome. I praise God for you, and I praise God that you're in church that you're studying the word of God because trust me, 
God will bless you. He's got a strong purpose for each and every one of you. And for those of us adults who don't stand and model the word of God, shame on us. But you guys right now, while the world may not be paying attention to you, what you are doing in essence is studying and preparing for what you will do. And you will be awesome saints and ambassadors for Christ. So I pray God's favor over you and blessing over you. And you go out and take this world and knock them alive in Jesus' name. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Pastor Joe. You, you no, know, dur during the, during the fall, during football season, James, in this service, a lot of people want to head out early to go home and see you on TV. Mm. Now we got you live right Praise up here God. on the stage. So listen, Praise I want God. us to have a time of commitment today. Mm. Somebody may need to get saved. There were some in the first service who made decisions for Jesus, and we want to give you a chance to do that right now with your heads bowed and eyes closed. If you don't have the absolute assurance in your heart that if you died today, you'd go immediately to heaven and be with God, you need that. You need to be saved, and you need to know that you're saved. And you can do that by trusting in Jesus Christ. Let me help you to do that through prayer. Would you just pray this right now? Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you mm. to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. Heads bowed and eyes closed all around the room. No one looking but me. But if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to. I just want to know. There's several. Okay, others. Who else might have prayed that mm. prayer? Thank you. Thank you. Several mm. have prayed that prayer today. Mm. Thank you for raising your hand. In a moment, we want to give you a chance to, to make that decision public. Jesus said we're to confess him openly and publicly before others. We're going to give you a chance to come forward and share with one of us at the front. Hey, today I prayed that prayer. Others here today, you prayed that prayer a long time ago. You've been saved, but you've kind of been a private, a secret Christian. And today you need to come out into the open. Just like James, I'm telling you, he's not ashamed of his faith in Jesus Christ in the biggest, strongest, toughest sports world there is out there. He lets it be known where he stands. And we want to give you a chance to do that today. Maybe you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. You ought to come forward. A man came forward in the first service, and he said, I've been saved, but I need to get baptized. Mm. You need to maybe do the same today. Others, you've already done that, but you feel God leading you as a couple, as a student, as a, as a single adult, as a family. You need to just come today and say, we want to put our life here in First Baptist. It's an act of obedience. It's the right thing to do. And if you'll come forward with that decision, I believe others even we'll see you and, and maybe they'll come on their salvation decision. Father, I pray there'll be a freedom here during this next song. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.